I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's episode is an exclusive interview with Ryan Johnson, director of the killer new pick Knives Out, which is in UK cinemas this Friday. Ryan, welcome to the Kermit on Film Podcast. So the film is going to open in the UK this week. For those who haven't seen it, is it possible to do a pithy description of what kind of movie Knives Out is? Let me give my elevator pitch. Yeah. Uh, Knives Out is a old-school Agatha Christie-style whodunit mystery, but it's an original story, and it's set in modern-day America. And what brought you to doing that? Well, I had been a big Agatha Christie fan since I was a little kid, both of her books and also of the movies. I particularly loved the ones with Peter Houston off as Poirot, uh, <laughs> those kind of big all-star casts and not parodies, not comedies, but kind of cheekily self-aware of the genre. That, that, that was a sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'd always wanted to do one. And the notion of setting one in modern day you know, times like modern day America, giving it kind of really trying to plug it into the here and now of it all uh, seemed like an inter- interesting challenge. The tone of it is really uh, darkly playful, which I love because it's got exactly that kind of razor edge. The edge actually that Christie always had and people forget, I think they think of her sometimes as cozier than she is and they're surprised yeah. when they go back and read her books. Is it difficult to get that balance between sinister and funny? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it 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 is interesting that balance. I mean, and and I mean, part of you know, uh, part of it is casting really good actors, and because the the trick, of course, is having these characters who are on the verge of being caricature, you know. But they, okay. but it's not a parody. Like I said, it's not a comedy, and so you you have, and it is also a film that tries to give you both the fun of a puzzle box, but also some kind of emotional payoff at the end. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to work as a movie. And for that, you need characters who are more than just uh, caricatures. And yeah, it it takes really good actors to be able to go very big and have so much fun with the characters and yet keep them at least slightly grounded. When you say that thing about on the the very edge of parody, the, the person who skates that most clearly is the character played by Daniel Craig. Can you describe how you described him to your actor? Well, I mean, I, I kind of let the script do the talking a bit and let Daniel just kind of read, read it in context. But the way I would describe him to an audience, he's a eccentric private detective in 
the classic mode of Poirot. Gentleman sleuth. The gentleman sleuth. And it's funny because Daniel, you know, he, it's a very fun performance. And mm -hmm. you can tell, it's also really fun because you can tell how much fun Daniel Craig is having playing it, I think. Or they, that's what I felt on set watching him. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's to a specific end. Um, you know, if you think of the reason Peter Ustinov is my favorite Poirot is because he got the essential clownishness of the character, which I think is not just fun to watch, it's also very important to why he's a good mm -hmm. detective. It's the same thing that, um, I don't know, if it was popular here, but Columbo in the States, yeah, yeah. Falk, yeah, or Miss Marple in a different way, because she wasn't clownish, but she, she was just kind of a kindly old spinster. There's something that has to make you underestimate the detective yeah. and make you not take them seriously until it's too late and you're being led off to the police station. In the case of uh, the Columbo thing, it was always the, the, the apparent bumblingness, yeah. then followed by, you know, one more thing, which was the point at which you knew he was going to stick the knife in. <laughs> and there's almost a sense of that with what happens with Knives Out, that he, he is a slightly ridiculous character. He, re he introduced himself by plucking a note on the piano. Yeah. He has this very sort of broad persona. And yet you, what you feel is, or like Kinderman and The Exorcist, he knows all this stuff. He's just not letting you know that he knows. I mean, that's really the fun of it. That's what you aim for with this. And Daniel just plays that plays that to a T. And there's a, you know, giving him a, a Southern American accent and having him kind of be this broad in the context of the story taking place in this very rich, well-to-do, yeah. well-heeled New England manner. That's another way of making him very much a fish out of water and making sure the family was going to and look down their noses at him. Thank you all for getting together like this. It isn't legally necessary, but I thought because you're all in town and some of you are leaving soon. Excuse me. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to gently request that you all stay in town until the investigation is completed. Yeah, well, he's gently requesting, but I'm gonna have to make that in order. No one move until we figure this all out. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. Mr. Stevens, uh, you may continue. Was there any part of you that particularly wanted to do something that was so character-based after having just done this absolutely, you know, massive Star Wars project? Um, oh, I don't know if I felt that way about it. I mean, because, you know, essentially the, the Star Wars movie was also very character-based, you know, at least from my perspective of approaching mm -hmm. the work. I think maybe just, just so we're all on the same page, yeah. I really love Last Jedi. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm in the huge fan camp. So, you know, <laughs> I appreciate it. So during the wars, during the battles, I was on the, I was on the side of the good. I fought with your father in the prequel wars. Yeah. Uh, it, well, the... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I think maybe the thing that's different about this is the extent to which it's dialogue-based. And that was very fun for me, to be able to write kind of big swaths of dialogue again. Because with Star Wars, you're you're trying to be economic. You're trying to say everything with as few words as possible. And um, it was very fun just to give actors like Daniel Craig or Tony Collette or Jamie Lee Curtis or Don Johnson, all these great actors, to give them, um, you know, big big chunks of text to kind of dig into. One of the things your movies have always done is you, you're very interesting the way you use sound. Mm. And the sound of dialogue is a very peculiar sort of symphony, isn't it? And this is this film with many voices. Can tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. yeah. Well, and each, I mean, it's similar to what I was talking about with Daniel with each of the actors. I mean, we, we had 
a cast of such high caliber. And that, to me, meant that they could go farther out on a limb with each of their characters. So you have Toni Collette, who is one of the most skilled actors of her generation, and she's doing this completely bonkers American (laughs) kind of loony left wing uh, lifestyle guru. New age. star, very much so. And she's got a kind of a California accent going on. Uh, And then you've got Michael Shannon, who is absolutely extraordinary. And I'm used to seeing in much heavier roles. And he's playing kind of like the weak younger son who's Mm -hmm. sort of um, he has this halting manner of speech and he's not comfortable with his body. Yeah, it's all these. And and, and that's again, it's drawn straight from the Christie. It's it's the fun of the whodunit is you have a rogues gallery and you try and paint with as different a primary color as possible with each of the characters. Tell me about Michael Shannon. I interviewed Werner Herzog when he got shot. So I was the guy interviewing him when the, when the air rifle thing happened and he didn't flinch. (laughs) And then years later I talked to Herzog about working with Michael Shannon. He said, he said, I walked in the room and he gave me this stare and he said, and I was really scared. I went, Werner, you're not scared of anything. (laughs) (laughs) He said the intensity of him was really quite, He's he's intense. I think with this one, he he was he was having fun, and so I mean, he's always you know he's a very um, you can tell he's very focused. He's very intense. He's also a lovely guy, really smart, really lovely. Um, yeah, I can't say it was a. I mean, I I think with the caveat that this was you know we were. He took the work very seriously, but this was a, a playpen that we were in together, not a war. So. Was it fun on set? Because one of the things, I mean, it, it's really fun to watch. I laughed more during Knives Out than I have in many of the alleged comedies of the year. <laughs> was it fun on set? I think, I mean, what you see on screen, it, it's a direct reflection of how it felt on set. It was all the actors, um, they all turned up to play and everyone checked and everyone checked their egos at the door and just had a blast and you can you can kind of tell that on the screen it was um you know i and i was a bit nervous getting this many kind of big names together i i as a director i was just like oh is this gonna how is this gonna be and every it just went the best way possible everyone just hung out and had a good time and there's a lot of scenes which are most of the ensemble together in i'm assuming yeah. it's not done individually i imagine you have everybody there like a sort yeah. of stage play that was the most fun when we had the whole family in one the whole family on-screen family in one room and all of these actors could just start playing off of each other mm-hmm. and uh that's the thing where i just sit back and i don't want to i want i don't want to say cut oh let me guess hey stop stop you drysdale Call me Ransom. It's my middle name. Only the help calls me Hugh. Okay. Uh, this is Trooper Wagner. I'm Lieutenant Elliot. I just want to ask a few questions. Excuse me. Sir? We're officers of the law? You gonna run me in? I don't feel like talking. I'm distraught. Hey, Benny. You want to ask this guy some questions? All right, what is this? What's this arrangement? Mr. Drysdale. CSI KFC? <laughs> it also is fun between takes. Um, we were shooting in the house that you see in the movie. Is this like crazy old mansion. In, it's a real house. It's a real house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the reason we went to Massachusetts. We found this amazing house. So we were shooting there, and in between takes, the whole cast, they wouldn't go back to their trailers, they would all just go down in the basement into the game room and they would all hang out. You would go down there and it would be, you know, just this lineup of all these massive movie stars from Christopher Plummer all the way down to 
Jaden, you know, and Martel, our youngest, and, and it was all these generations of actors just having these conversations together. It was, it was pretty incredible. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because we're going to do this on stage talk, I was yeah. asked to pick some clips from your movies, and I... I went back to the opening of Brick because I remember watching that film and having an experience that I've subsequently discovered other people had of the opening sequence of Brick being the thing in which you went, oh, okay, fine, sit up, right, take notice. <laughs> Brendan? Emily? Have you gone back and looked at Brick recently? And do you, as other people do, look at it and go, actually, I can see everything in that opening? Uh, I have actually rewatched it fairly recently. We did a, uh, we kind of retransferred it for Mm -hmm. a new Blu-ray that is coming out. So we finally did like a very proper, nice, beautiful transfer of it. Um, Did you leave the two days previous in? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I lived it then. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's controversial. <laughs> I think it's still good. No, no, for yeah, no, no. no. I, for, for my, I have actually another good friend who's, who's very much against the, that title card. Is like, well, and I, in my head, anything, any hand you can give the audience to orient them, especially at the beginning of something so odd as Brick, I think, is, is worth it. But it's, uh, no, I don't, when I'm watching it, I'm, you know, I have uh, some distance from it now, but I'm still looking and remembering the day that we shot everything and kind of seeing uh, seeing the flaws and seeing this and that. So it's, I, uh, I don't know if with your own work you can ever, you know, have the same experience an audience has watching it. I think one of the things about this remarkable is the sound of that opening mm. because I didn't even realize it was it's a xylophone right because so, yeah. it sounds like something clanking at the edge of your consciousness. Yeah, Nathan Johnson who's my cousin who I've been making movies with since we were 10 years old. And music you play together as well, don't you? A bit. Yeah, yeah, we go around together. But he's he's a real musician. I'm not. <laughs> but he did the score for Knives Out as well. Yeah. So, yeah, and but he yeah, he made he made that by um, using a xylophone but sticking the rod of the mallet into the xylophone and jangling it. Around. Right, and it gave this kind of very ghostly sort of yeah, and it's a beautiful that combined with that gorgeous tune that he wrote for the opening of it. Um, yeah, he's a very talented guy. I remember 
in the room with us is my son, who, when he was much younger, said, Dad, I really want to watch Looper. Is that fine? And I went, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then about halfway through, one of my friends came in and said, do you remember how dark Looper is? And I said, no, I haven't seen it for a while. <laughs> no. The whole Bruce Willis <laughs> shooting a kid in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, bizarrely, I had yeah. forgot. It's, it's, it's a tougher film than I remembered it being. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it definitely... It's 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 a hard R as we say in the mm. states, but it also I mean the whole so much of it was about kind of um, yeah sort of the, the 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 actual consequences of choosing to use violence as a problem solving tool, and so it, it, a big part of it was was pushing it to the place where okay if he's willing to do anything to get this thing back that he thinks is his that means he's willing to do anything and you have to we had to the whole thing was pushing bruce willis's character to the point where his relationship to the, to the audience hopefully broke and um the tricky thing was realizing how much audiences love bruce willis and how much even after seeing him shoot the child and justify it some audiences were like, "Well, he's Bruce Willis. He must have had to read. You know, it was he had no choice. You, know, they, they, you find that it's, audiences love that guy. So you know, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Are you still a big fan of genre cinema? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I like. I keep coming back to it. I mean, I love the. Um, just besides it being some of my favorite, you know, a lot of my favorite stuff that I watched growing up, I also love. Storytelling-wise, how it gives you a shared grammar with the audience. I love how it gives you a chessboard to play on with the audience. Uh, instantly opens up a slightly meta conversation between you and the viewer in terms of what rules you're following, what rules you're breaking, um, and yeah, gives you a gives you a pathway on which you can do lots of interesting things and and which you can used to kind of get to stuff that really matters to you. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. I'm very bad with television, but I've been watching Breaking Bad. I'm at the end of series four now. Oh and so you goodness. can't talk to me about Ozymandias, which not. everyone says is one of the greatest pieces of television ever made. <laughs> but um, watching Fly was really interesting because that kind of, you know, that Beckett aspect of it, the absurdist aspect of it, but also the slapstick comedy of it. And you are drawn to that kind of Keaton-esque, yeah. you know, the whacking each other over the head with the fly swatter. <laughs> that is slapstick comedy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. And I, I love the the mixture of the two. To me, to me, that's the that's the most fun is when um, because that's very reflective of of life. You know, the most um, the most somber, sad occasions are always broken by moments of of, of weird, absurd comedy. I think I, I think uh, the mixture as 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 far as you can push the mixture of those two extremes, the the closer that hues to to what 
you know, to what life actually feels like. And that does feed into Knives Out because there's that bit very early on in Knives Out when the camera pushes in on Jamie Lee Curtis and she says, I know who you are. I read your profile. I am here to bury my father who just committed suicide and I want to know what you're doing here, which is that same thing about, oh, yes, it is a funeral virtually. Bracing, yeah, exactly. After all this fun and all this goofiness to remember that these are family members who just had somebody close to them die. And that's, I don't know. I First of all, I just, that's, the type of kind of like reorientation and it's almost like the merry-go-round coming to an instant stop that I love experiencing Mm -hmm. as an audience member when a movie can do that for me Um, and it also like I said it was very important for this movie uh, to have it have actual emotional stakes and I wanted it to I wanted to get to the ending and have the ending be satisfying on a level beyond just the puzzle box element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want it to be a satisfying movie as well, yeah. you know, all the way through. Well, also, you didn't do the thing which is introducing a character that had been seen once at the beginning going, aha! Yeah, exactly. Which is always exactly. the yeah. kind of... Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, there's... Uh, do you, are you familiar with Murder by Death? Yeah, the, of course. Uh, parody? Yeah. The, yeah. the whole... And Truman Capote's character at the end when he dresses down all the famous detectives <laughs> yeah. of history and lists their sins, <laughs> how, they, how they've cheated audiences throughout their careers. It's, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Are you still in the Star Wars? Because at one point there was, you, you, there was other ones that you were doing. Are you yeah. still in that? What's happening? Yeah, I'm still talking to them about they're figuring out what they're going to do, you know, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm still, still in it with them. And I'm also planning stuff of my own and I'm not quite sure what's going to be next. I was at the premiere here of, of the film at the Albert Hall, I think it was, yeah, and it yeah. was, uh, and I, I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. And I tell you, I was not a Star Wars fan at the beginning. I was the wrong age. For yeah. me, it was too much fun and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. How did you find the experience of it? And also the experience of being in the middle of the absolute weirdness <laughs> afterwards. It was, I mean, top to bottom, it, it was, you know, the best experience of my life. It was absolutely extraordinary. I'm still, I will go to my grave feeling like the luckiest man on earth that I got to go through the entire experience. And um, every part of it, from the people I got to meet and work with, the heroes I got to meet, the the craftsmen I got to work with, and just the personally fulfilling creative experience of making it. And then also putting it out there and then having the amount of engagement with the audience that you dream of as yeah. someone who like tells stories. You, the, the idea that this movie could deeply affect people in such in such a profound way um i mean it's it's star wars you know that's the that's the the beauty of it and it's been i'll tell you it's i know it's uh you know the the craziness looks like a lot of negativity i think kind of from the outside i'll say being in inside of the reaction to it that's that's a very small slice of it which is not to say that like oh no everyone actually loved the movie i'm not saying that i'm saying in terms of my experience engaging with fans mm. and even engaging with people on Twitter. Um, Which you did do, and you did yeah. with great, you know, subtlety or calm. You didn't, yeah. you'd never got, you never lost your head about it. You were very measured. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, yeah. That's... You do understand that's not how Twitter works. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, the truth is, having been a Star Wars fan my whole life, listen, I, there's a lot of hand-wringing about the state of fandom right now. The truth is, I mean, I, man, I was in my 20s when the prequels came out. I mean, mm. my God, it's all... The thing is, people care so deeply about Star Wars. It's always been like this. There's not been a Star Wars movie that's been released in my lifetime, you know, this, yeah, since yeah. I was a little kid, since the originals. Um, 
that's not met with intense feelings on both sides of the fence. And that's par for the course, I think. And so, um, yeah, there was a, you know, personally, it's, it's very weird when suddenly, you know, suddenly people are yelling at you on the internet. But on the flip side of that, the vast majority of interactions I have on are positive beyond what, what you could hope for, you know? I mean, I, I found it a thrilling experience because I had never really got Star Wars before the, the, the more recent films. Mm-hmm. And I went to the premiere, Gabriel and I went together. We saw it. We loved it. We went into the pub afterwards with a group of people. We just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. Yeah, that's good. And then... When the stuff happened, I suddenly found myself on the other side of the. Oh, you know, it's this, that, and, it, and I, I actually, I kind of thought, well, this, this is really interesting because right. I'm having quite serious arguments with people about where. Isn't that were. fabulous, though? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful that it there's is. something that like can be a, a conversation between? I mean, my God, man, what, what? Uh, there's, it's, it, those things are dwindling in the world that can, you know, Star Wars and. I don't know, a few other things that have that kind of global reach and, yeah. and that people have that strong feelings about to, to engage in the conversation. Now. Yeah. It's great. Well, uh, Knives Out opens in the UK this week. Thank you ever so much. You and I are going to go and do an onstage Q&A now in which I will ask you some of the same questions. Pretend you haven't heard them before. I shall do my best. Thank you so much for coming on the well, podcast. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thanks. There we go. Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. I hope you enjoyed my exclusive interview with Ryan Johnson. If you've enjoyed the podcast, remember to tell your friends and to subscribe, or why not visit our Patreon page, which has got loads of exclusive content. Thanks for listening. Keep watching the skies. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.